Father, we just pray right now, every heart being opened. God, we pray every spirit of discouragement, every spirit of confusion, we just thank you is falling to the ground right now in Jesus' name. And God, we just pray your Holy Spirit would just come and just anoint me, Father, to speak your words with boldness, God, and with authority. I just thank you, Father, your very words bring life and it sets us free. And so, Father, we pray for a spirit of freedom, God, to reign in this place. God, we love you and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What does that mean? Oh, how much I'm going, how long I'm going? Okay. That's, okay. Um, you know, that skit that you just saw is actually like one of our token skits when we go on mission trips for New Philly. And we've been to a lot of different countries and have done that uh, skit in a lot of different environments, in Japan, in Cambodia, in India, in the Philippines, and a lot of different nations. And something so powerful about something that doesn't have words, you know, and just motions and i hope you guys were able to see just the description simple description yet powerful description of the gospel it's so like my so sharp say wait a okay you guys know when someone scratch oh see you know what i'm talking about scratch the blackboard that's what i is it okay okay all right i'm fucking up okay um anyway and one time we had uh that skit performed uh, in India, and it was our first time in a city called Manipur, and it's in the northeast region of India, and it's right on the border between India and Burma, and uh, Myanmar now, thank you. Um, and uh, on that particular border was a lot of drug trafficking, was a lot of actually militia, um, and a lot of civil issues that were going on in that area. It was actually a, a complete miracle that we were able to get our visas to even go and visit. And I remember uh, it was a night I was set to preach, and this is my one of my first times preaching in uh, to an adult congregation. My husband mentioned me preaching to children, but this was one of my first times preaching to an adult congregation on the missions field, and I was quite nervous. And I remember before the message went out, we did the skit. And uh, there was a testimony that went out that very night that as the skit was going on, there was a young man in the room, a man that actually got kidnapped uh, in his teenage years and forced to join a militia, underground militia. He actually recently escaped that very week and was invited by some random person to come out to the revival event. Now, what was going on the days before was he was getting ready to kill himself because he could not escape the torment that he was experiencing because of his ish, just of the things that he had gone through being part of that militia. You can imagine the trauma that he had to face as well as the violence he had to perpetuate in that circumstance. And here he was getting ready to kill himself. Someone invites him to this revival. I guess he goes on a whim. He sees this skit and, and something happened to him because when the main character was sitting there holding the gun up to their head, he immediately saw that picture and knew that was him. And he saw himself there in that person's place getting ready to take his own life because he was so tormented. Lucky for us, the skit doesn't end with this. And it finishes out with the rest of the display of the gospel. That young man was the first person to come up for the altar call that very evening, got saved and completely set free. 
There's something powerful about skits. There's something powerful about your skits. <laughs> no, but truly, I think when someone can release joy like that, there's power. Um, there's actually a stand-up comedian that is um, quite famous in the Christian world, and he did a documentary recently about the power of laughter. And what he did was he visited different prisons and different places where people, you can imagine, are just not, they don't have a reason to laugh anymore. And he would do a stand-up comedic performance for about an hour, and people would just be rolling, and then he would share the gospel message. And after he'd share the gospel message, you would hear people's testimonies just saying, you know what, I haven't had a reason to laugh in years. In years, there's something power, powerful about just joy and laughter. And so, yes, your skits were powerful. <laughs> I want you guys to turn with me to Galatians, and we're just going to flip around a little bit in the Bible. And we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 all the way to verse 26. And so um, I'll pull a Marcus, and I'll, I'll read two verses, and you can read two verses, and we'll make it all the way down to verse 26, Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eager, ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Wow, Paul. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now 
envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Amen. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Amen. It is for freedom that he has set you free. Now get this in verse 1. It says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What does that very sentence entail? If it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, then why do you have to stand firm? Why do you, why does Paul have to say, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery? Now catch what I have to say tonight. I want to say to you that you can be free and lose your freedom. You know, we talk a lot about retreat highs. Some of you guys were hesitant to even come. Because you didn't want to do what Marcus was, Pastor Marcus was even talking about. He was talking about the walking and then falling and then walking and then falling and then walking and then falling until the point where you're just so discouraged of falling, you just rather lay there. Anybody ever felt like that before? I did the first 20 some years of my life. That was my retreat experience. I knew how to play the emotional card. I knew how to cry at the right songs. I knew when to lift up my hands. I knew when to bring them down. I knew when to cry. I knew when to shout. I mean, I was a retreat expert. (laughs) And one thing that I was an expert as was also having a retreat high that lasted about a month or two and then falling completely flat on my face afterwards. I was really good at that. Why would that happen? Why would you have such a powerful encounter with God, experience breakthrough in your life, and all of a sudden you're flat on your face again? I want to submit to you tonight that it's because you didn't stand firm. It's because we didn't stand firm. Now, my desire for you tonight is to put a place where you can feet, your feet can stand firm on. That's what I want to do tonight. My whole message is to give you a platform that you can bind your feet on and you can stand firm on this message and keep yourself in a place, not only where you're going to continue to stay in the revelation of God, but only continue to grow. Amen. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, I was set free from some stuff in my life. In high school, I remember being set free and then just falling right back into it. You know, if I were to describe my Christian walk to you, it was like running to God, but I had like a rubber band around my waist and I would run, 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 run. And then, you know, you hit that peak of the the stretch and all of a sudden, and then rather than being where you were, when you have a rubber band, you go flying that much more further back. That was what my Christian walk was like for so long. And that's why when I came to Korea, I came as a very jaded person. That's why I came as very reluctant to invest my time in something like church or a Christian fellowship because of my continuous back and forth and back and forth. It was tiring, frankly. 
Back then, I wish someone had preached the message that I'm going to preach to you tonight. And that I understood what it meant to stand firm. What are we standing firm on? First of all, why is it for freedom that Christ has set you free? You know, when Jesus began to speak those words of freedom, turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 31 to 38. We're going to look at how uh, the Pharisees and some of the disciples responded because they were confused. John chapter 8, verse 31 to 38. I'm going to read that for you. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Okay, these are already believers, okay? Uh, In the sense that they believed in Jesus. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. In the next couple of passages, it's entitled, You are of your father, the devil. That's kind of intense, isn't it? Here Jesus is saying the truth will set you free. I mean, that's something you guys should be very familiar with if you go to Yonte. In fact, it's inscribed somewhere on some boulder and I think Underwood is standing on top of it or something like that. Okay, it's, it's, uh, the Yonte was built on that verse that the truth will set you free. Here that Jesus is describing that to, to people who believed in him. And they're, they're looking at him like, free? What do you mean free? What are you talking about? I'm not even enslaved. I'm not even enslaved. Well, what do I need to be free from? You know, there are some people in this room tonight, when I say freedom, just complete. Freedom? I have freedom. I do me. I live life the way that I want to. I live my freedom. But look carefully to what the word says. Because remember, your definition about words needs to come from the word of God, not from what the world says. That's going to be a key revelation for you guys today. It says, anyone who commits sin is a what? Slave to sin. If there's something about sin that you guys need to understand, is sin is designed to enslave you. Designed that way. When the devil does his work and tries to do what he needs to do to get you in a place of discouragement or begin to just convince you that you're not someone uh, that, that God would deem as worthy or whatever is up his sleeve, trust me, his game plan is to enslave you. And by enslaving you, I mean for you to do what he wants you to do. How many of you guys fell into sin without even wanting to do it? Thank you for some honest people up in here. Yesterday, that drinking question, y'all keeping your hands down, and I was like, anyway, I'm thank, thank you for your honest honesty. 
But there are times when even in your heart, you don't want to do what you're about to do. You ever feel that way? You're like, man, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Some of you even feel like, man, I know I shouldn't be doing this and I probably don't want to do this, but I'm doing it. And you begin to notice that the sense of power, quote unquote control that you should have over your life, all of a sudden you're losing grip on and something else seems to be having control over you. I don't know if you ever thought about it like that, but that's how the way, that's how sin works. It seeks to enslave you. Whether it's with addiction, whether it's a wrong mindset, whether it's even a victim mentality. Listen, the victim mentality does not come into agreement with anything the word of God says. Therefore, if you believe and trust the victim mentality, you're believing more and putting more faith in the devil than you are of God. So even if your thought process is wrong, guess what? You are enslaved. I'm not trying to get you to, you know, walk out here being, oh man, I'm in chains. But I'm trying to paint a picture of what Jesus really did for us. Because before he came into the picture, I hope you guys understood that we were chained. That we were bound and that in fact our father was the devil. I know that sounds really crazy, but I suggest you read the rest of John 8 to understand that. That Satan tried to take our very inheritance. Think about it, you guys. Who tells you who you are? Your very identity, can I submit, comes more from the world than it does from the word. And because your very identity often comes from the world more than it does the word, actually it's Satan himself that's describing who you really are. There's an enslaving power to sin. And so here Jesus is trying to describe this to the disciples and to some of the Jews. And he's saying, guess what? It doesn't stop there. It says here, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. How many of y'all want to be free tonight? You know, if you turn back to Galatians here, Paul is talking about freedom. And then all of a sudden he talks a couple, like a bunch of verses about circumcision. Now, you know, when I first read this passage, I was like, what do you have to do with anything? Paul, you inappropriate, you know? That's just not Bible talk. You can't be talking about things like that. I don't know if you guys know what circumcision is. Um, but basically, oh, can you point the picture up on? No, I'm playing the no picture. Um, I'm playing, y'all. All right. Uh, circumcision was a command that was given in the Old Testament for the men to cut off the foreskin of their genitalia. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. The foreskin. It was just extra flesh. And they were told to cut it. And actually, this flesh being cut was a sign and a covenant to their commitment to God. Okay, understand that. You know, everything that, you know, when you look at the Bible and you think, man, majority is Old Testament, what does that have to do with anything that Jesus has to do with really you don't understand your Bible then because everything in the old Testament points to Jesus, everything, everything in the old Testament is a foreshadow of Jesus. And this command to have circumcision was actually a foreshadow of a command that God will give us today. But here Paul is arguing. It's not about the mere act, at least not after Jesus came. 
If you look at Acts 15, uh, verse 1, I'll just read that for you. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Here's a premise of what's going on when Paul's writing this letter. There's a huge argument that's happening amongst the believers. It, the argument is, you need to be circumcised in order for you to be saved. That's the argument. Versus, you don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And, and Paul is clearly on the side that you don't need to be circumcised. What does this have to do with anything? What does circumcision have to do with anything? Well, if you turn with me, to Romans chapter 2. And look at verse 29. I want you guys to just read with me what that verse says. Are you guys there? Here we go. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. The whole reason Paul goes into circumcision may be for another purpose. He's trying to prove that circumcision doesn't belong for today. And the reason why is circumcision represents man's work to get into the kingdom of heaven. That's what it represented. They were talking about you got to follow the tradition in order to get into heaven. You have to be circumcised. And Paul is arguing here it's not about our works anymore, but simply about faith. Now, I know this is something that may seem a little bit abstract, but stay with me here because how many of you in this room have fought to believe that your works mean more than your faith? You know, we grow up, many of us in an Asian community where work is very highly esteemed and work is very important. And I'm not trying to belittle work. Work is good. Work is a natural result of faith. But faith comes first, is my argument. (laughs) And here Paul is saying, listen, it's not about your works. Basically, it's not the fact that you come to church every Sunday. It's not the fact that you read your Bible every single day. It's not the fact that you can pray or even recite how many chapters or uh, is in the book of, of Joshua. It's a matter of your heart. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? You know, it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you you stiff-necked people, necked, naked. (laughs) You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy 10.16 says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Deuteronomy 36 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Jeremiah 4.4 says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your heart. Now, Paul may be dismissing the work uh, attitude that we are saved by works, but trust me, he's not dismissing circumcision. But in fact, Paul states later on, even in the book of Romans, that we're called to circumcise not the flesh physically, but our hearts. 
What does it mean to circumcise your hearts? Well, here in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about your foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Later on in Deuteronomy, it says that if you circumcise your heart, it is so that you will love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Listen, what the foreskin represents is our unbelief. And trust me, there's a circumcision that needs to happen with all of us in this room. And it's not one that's physical. It's one that's the issue of our heart. And the very thing you need to cut off from your heart is the unbelief that's trying to attach itself and linger and keep you from loving God with everything you have. You want to know why you're not pursuing God with everything? You want to know why you're so lukewarm? It's because you haven't circumcised your heart. It's because there's still a piece of your heart that's labeled unbelief. Now, what exactly are we unbelieving in? What are exactly am I calling you to believe in? I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. And we're going to start with verse 2 and go all the way to um, verse 6. So I'll read a verse and you guys will read a verse. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, the reason why the Galatian church was struggling so much was because there was deception in the house. You know, the only reason why you are not pursuing or you're not on fire or you consider yourself lukewarm or you're struggling with A, B, and C is because there's deception in your house. It only comes by deception. That's the game the devil plays, lies. If God speaks truth, the devil speaks lies. He's all about the deception. And here the deception in the Galatian church was you need to earn your way to salvation. That was the deception. And there's another deception that comes. And one of the biggest deceptions that comes our way as believers is to downsize what was done on the cross. Let me tell you, when you got saved, there was an engine that was put in your car as a believer. That engine was called the gospel message. And so many times we end up trying to push our car through our Christian faith and we get tired and tired and tired. What we don't understand is you need to turn on the keys of repentance, ignite the gospel engine, and begin to drive off into the place of your destiny and your calling. The gospel message is not for a one-time use. It's for every single day. 
Now get this because this is one of the biggest deceptions that the devil's going to throw your way is the gospel message is for one, one time, one time. You got the gospel message. You cried, you prayed the prayer and then you got saved. Hallelujah. The angels were cheering and that's about it. And then everything else is, is whatever else is left in the Bible. The whole Bible is about the gospel message. Listen to me. Everything about the Bible is about this one message. If there's one message that you need to understand inside and out, it's what Jesus has done for you and I on the cross. He didn't just die. Read what Isaiah 53 said. It says he was despised and rejected by men. You know, one fallacy that we we think in our minds is that Jesus doesn't understand us. Is that he's so holy, he's so good, he's so perfect that when we struggle with what we struggle with, he's far away. But y'all don't know what he went through if that's the way that you think. Because when we struggle, Jesus understands. He may have been the son of God, perfect manifestation on the earth, the word manifested in flesh. But trust me, he was tempted in every which way possible you and I are tempted in. We tell ourselves in the victim mentality, oh, woe is me because I've gone through this. People rejected me. You don't know what I've been through. I've I've been betrayed by even my own family members. I've been betrayed by this person and that person. I was mocked. People didn't believe me. And we, and we look at our situation, we think, God, how can you allow this in my life? And you point your finger at the Father in heaven. And you say, you're too far away. You're too far away. When that happens, you need to turn to Isaiah 53. And you need to read these words over and over. And you need to understand that he was despised. That he was rejected. That he was a man of sorrows, it says. And he was acquainted with grief. Y'all know what grief is like? Have you guys ever been so depressed you even thought about killing yourself? You guys know what that feels like? He was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen, everyone thinks that Jesus is this like Jesus is the man. I mean, he was the man. Trust me. We know that now after the fact. But when he was on the earth, he was, according to other people, nothing special. He wasn't necessarily good looking. He wasn't, he wasn't like David who was like, I don't, I, I can't wait to meet David in heaven. Cause I'm okay. I get it. You know, but Jesus wasn't, he purposely was not one to be honored in a worldly way. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And he was wounded for our transgressions, for he was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastisement, you can exchange that word to punishment. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now, the type of Jesus I'm reading in this word is a Jesus that understands what you and I go through. Is a type of Jesus that when you feel brokenhearted and when you feel far away and when you feel discouraged, it's a type of Jesus that knows exactly what you're going through because he's been through it himself. 
This is the Jesus that understands being betrayed. In fact, the way that his betrayal went down was with one of his homies. Judas was supposed to be one of his homies, right? One of his crew who goes up to him and betrays him with what? A kiss. How foul is that? He kisses him on the cheek, and that's how everybody else knows that's the man we're going to get. Can you imagine? And then on top of that, all of his people who were supposed to have his back all the time ran with a quickness once they saw Jesus get arrested. Oh, no, no, no. Peter stuck around. Peter stuck around. But Peter stayed hidden because he was scared. And on top of that, when Peter was confronted, hey, you know that man? Don't you, don't you chill with him? Aren't you guys friends? Aren't you guys boys? He said, oh, what? No, I don't know him. He's lame. Walking away. Completely rejected by the one who said that he would give his life for Jesus. You ever have a friend who lets you down? A friend that you wanted to trust? And a friend that thought you thought was going to have your back no matter what. And when the time came that you needed him the most or her the most, she wasn't or he wasn't there. You have that experience? Jesus can relate to that. And he goes up, gets arrested, and is imprisoned. And in this holding cell or whatever you call it, he just straight up gets mocked. In fact, the scripture says that he was blindfolded and the guards would punch him and be like, prophesy, prophet, who just hit you? Prophesy. This is the son of God we're talking about here. You ever been hit physically, verbally? You've been abused before when it wasn't called for, when it wasn't your fault, when it wasn't fair? Jesus understands. He knows exactly what that's like. In fact, they bring him to the council and all these leaders and crowds surround him and they accuse him, falsely accuse him of blasphemy. And they declare to Pilate, who was one of the leaders at the time, hey, this guy, he's causing all this disruption. Something needs to be done with him. And here are the leaders that are just pointing accusing. Have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Man, it ain't fun, is it? What if your life was on the line, though? Listen, I'm trying to paint a real picture of what Jesus went through right now. And and there he is. He's getting accused. And here's the thing that kills me the most. The very people that he taught, the very people that had signs and wonders performed before them, the very people that might have gotten their leg healed or uh, multiplied uh, supernaturally of food, a bread and fish, those very people were also mixed in in the crowd that was shouting accusations over Jesus. What? It says crowds were there. 
talk about people turning their back on you. A lot of you guys in this room don't even trust people because people have turned their backs on you. And you hold others in the prison of your heart with unforgiveness and bitterness. Yet the truth is you're the one that's imprisoned. And you say to yourself, God, how could this even happen to me if you were in the picture? And here Jesus is, he's gone through the same thing, if not much more. And he gets the crowds jeering at him. Pilate doesn't even know what to do because he, he, he has nothing to blame Jesus for, really. He knows that it's a political thing that's going on. He understands that. In fact, he asks them, listen, there's no, there's no guilt on this man. I don't really see anything. I think you guys should just let him go and know they say crucify him. Crucify him. You know what crucifying him meant? I'm talking about the most cursed way to die was crucifixion. Like the most dishonorable way you can think of dying was crucifixion. You know, when we think now of the cross, we think of, oh, that's cute. You know, I got a cross pendant. It means that we're Christian. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful sign. No, listen, it wasn't that kind of symbol before. The crucifixion pointed to only the worst of sinners. Only the worst of sinners got crucified, okay? And here, everybody's yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And what does Jesus do? Not a single thing. Not a single, he doesn't say a single word. With every accusation, you know, when I get accused, I start, my mouth starts running and I'm like, well, I didn't do that. No, Judy did that. That wasn't me. Judy left the door open. No, that wasn't me. Judy drank all the milk. That wasn't me. I mean, you get quick to defend yourself, but not even a, 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 a sentence of defense from his lips. And he goes into this jeering crowd and all of a sudden punishment comes upon him. The chastisement that brings us what? Peace was upon him. That's talking about the scourging that he went through. And when we talk about Jesus getting whipped, I mean, back in the day when they do like skits in front of us, I thought it was like a whip, like, yeah, yeah, oh, you know, like, okay, that's cool. Until, until I saw the passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson, that movie just don't jack me up. And, uh, finally I understood someone described to me that the whipping that Jesus received was actually a leather strap that had pieces of broken glass and metal attached to it. So that when you get hit and you pull that whip out, off comes his skin, pieces of his flesh. Now, 40 lashes of that kind of whooping was designed to kill you. Designed to literally kill you. I I don't know how they figured that out. Maybe they just did it on a lot of people. And mathematically, they realized if it's 40, you die. And so 40 minus 1. Just right when he's about to die, they stop so he can suffer his way through the cross. And they make for him a crown because he was called the king of Jews. And just to mock him, they make him a crown of thorns, push it in his head. And they begin to get him to carry the cross. At one point, he just got so tired. Can you imagine after what he's just been through? And they nail his hands, his wrists, and his foot to the cross 
and they take a, a sponge on a stick and they dip it in wine and something called gall. Gall? Gall. I've yet to figure what that is. It was something nasty though. And they put it up to Jesus' mouth because you can, how thirsty he must have been. So thirsty. And he takes a sip and he just rejects it because you know what they used to do with those sponges that they put to his mouth? That's how people, what they used to clean their butts after going to the bathroom. So imagine for us, a used toilet paper dripped in wine and other nasty stuff, put on a stick and put to Todd Beatty's mouth because he's thirsty. And we're talking about some of the biggest forms of disrespect. My husband's all about respect. I mean, he doesn't really, I mean, he, I think love is important to him, but really respect <laughs> is important to him. He's like, why are you disrespecting me? I'm sorry, but I love you. I don't care why you're disrespecting me. It's something about respect, especially for a man that's so important. And here the son of God on this cross, already humiliated, mocked, gets a sponge that's used to wipe someone else's bottom, dipped in in nastiness and put to his lips. You want to talk about things that happened to you that were bad? Let's just sit for a moment and think about Jesus, can we? I'm not trying to make you feel like crap. I'm really not. See, Jesus went through all of those things and suffered all of that pain and endured all of that shame and endured all of that humiliation and endured all of that loneliness being completely betrayed. In fact, out of all the relationships he was betrayed by, probably the most serious was being betrayed by his own father. It says right before he gave his last breath, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Betrayed by his own dad. Jesus endured all those things. Why? so that you and I don't have to. This is why we call it the good news because it starts off real bad, doesn't it? But tonight, God wants to shift that. He wants to put himself in the driver's seat. Listen, there's not a safer place you can be. You struggle with stress, it's because you're trying to drive your own car. You struggle with insomnia, it's because you're trying to drive your own car. You struggle with anxiety and fear. It's because you're driving your own car. Are you struggling with anger, unforgiveness, and bitterness? It's because you're trying to drive your own car. Listen to me. When you allow Jesus to become the driver of your car through the gospel message, your life is completely transformed. That skit started out good. Somehow along the way, little Marie found herself further and further from the Lord. With every temptation she fell into, there was more distance. Until she hit the point where she hit rock bottom. Some of you guys in this room are in that place right now. And I believe that the way that the skit plays out can be your story tonight. 
where Jesus comes, swooping in, carrying all the grief and all the weight of your sin and your mistakes and your failures, puts it on his own back, breaks it off, and begins to invite you into a place of intimacy again. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. This altar call is very simple. It's an altar call of circumcision. It's about cutting away the you in your heart. It's about cutting away the unbelief. It's about cutting away the doubt. It's about cutting away your desire to control. Even if you feel weak in your faith, you need to understand the price has already been paid. But you have to access that through faith. You got to believe that what Jesus did was for real. And that it has power to set you free. I want you guys to just keep your eyes closed. and I want the staff just to stand to their feet. I want you to stand in your place right now and just begin to pray.